Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about SaaS valuations, exit planning, and the M&A market in 2021. Today, we have our guest, Pierre Hurtubriz, joining us once again. Uh, it's the first time he's actually joined. We've had a guest come on the show for the second time, and he's actually here live with us here in Guadalajara. So we thought we'd uh, record this episode and, and share some insights on what's been happening, what's going on at Horizon Capital, and uh, share what our, our kind of predictions are going into 2021. So welcome, Pierre. Glad to have you back on the show. Yeah, very glad to be here as well. Yeah. Awesome. Been, so, been looking forward to come. Yeah. Enjoying your time here in Mexico so far? Yeah. It's yeah. pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, the weather is cool. Yeah. Looking back at Europe where everything is basically not going very well, I'm quite happy to be here and finally meet. Yeah. Yeah. You got here at a good time. Um, so we're going to start talking about multiples, valuations. I think that's a question a lot of founders have. They're looking to exit their company. There's always that that picture in their mind that they always think 10x is the number. I don't know where that number came from, but they always think it's 10x of uh, the revenue of what they can sell their business. But before getting into the actual weeds of the multiples of what SaaS founders can expect in terms of the exit valuation, uh, I want to clarify for audience, what are the differences between the different profiles of, of buyers, right? You have the people who are financial mm-hmm. buyers and then you have the strategic buyers. Um, what is the difference between them, if you can explain for people? Yeah, for sure. So um, basically, the two different categories that uh, that we see, as you say, is financial buyers on one side, so generally investors and strategic buyers. The main difference uh, between the two is the financial buyers are going to look at a company mostly based on the financial and cash flows they can expect uh, from the company on a standalone basis. Whereas on the other side, the strategic buyers have their own agenda, have their own product, and they're more looking for synergies, right? They're looking to acquire potentially a technology that will help you uh, help them grow faster or additional revenue and that they will be able to incorporate into their existing cust- uh, customer base and uh, immediately increase uh, their revenue and revenue per customers. So generally what you see is the financial buyers uh, will pay a lower multiple for that, right? Because it can't really benefit from these synergies. Mm-hmm. So in our case, like Horizon would be considered a, obviously a financial buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, who are example? Like you know, be more specific. What is a strategic buyer? I guess how does that look like when people are looking? Is that is that like the Googles and the Amazon? Is that what you're talking about? So the, those one are, would be the, the the bigger ones. You can see that Google doing a lot of acquisition, uh, especially trying to integrate startup. They also pay a premium because they don't want the startup to become uh, competitors. Mm. So that's also a strategy to uh, to stay on, on top of their game. If you look at maybe smaller companies, um, uh, you can have a company like HubSpot, which is still fairly big, and which will try to integrate other services that make a lot of sense. Look, if you if you look at a CRM company, for instance, could mm-hmm. be could, could make a lot of sense for them to partner or to mer- merge with companies that offer emailing. Uh, so emailing mm. sequences, outreach, sales outreach, or help uh, with the sales process. And by combining those companies, then you could immediately uh, first ma- um, benefit from uh, from economy of scales for sure. Mm-hmm. But also you're getting some values uh, uh, along the, the value chain, right? right because right. now you're, uh, you're you're getting customers that use your CRM and pay you for that, but mm-hmm. they also use your other service. And your existing customers are very likely going to sign up. To the new uh, to the new companies that and products that you're integrating, right. so that makes uh, makes a lot of sense. That, ma- that makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of the market, I want to talk a little bit more about the market because as, as we've seen in 2021, investors had a, a shift in their perspective what they become you know interested in. Yep. You know, you have uh, things like hospitality, retail, 
um, you know, there's, there's a lot of other stuff like that, you know, that maybe have, you know, lost a lot of interest for investors and the market has become even more and more important. And people are looking at that as a, as a major factor. Uh, e-commerce has been big. What are some other, uh, you know, SaaS businesses would you say are trending right now and hot in the current market? Yeah. So basically markets, especially in the investing community, has always been one of the top three uh, criteria to invest in, uh, into a company with management uh, generally. So um, the things that are trending right now on the SaaS market, I would say AI. So mm. artificial intelligence, it was trending before uh, the, the, the COVID uh, incident. And it's still uh, tra- trending very high right now. And I personally am a big believer uh, of the AI, even though you need to be careful about what you can call AI and mm-hmm. uh, and what is just a simple algorithm. Um, there is a huge trend on everything related to remote working as well mm-hmm. uh, that, that we see which makes a lot of sense which is an interesting interesting trend i think because fairly people think we will move to, uh, toward a society that works remotely but more and more uh, after like a year of working remotely uh, you have a fair bit of the company that realize that they also have a loss of productivity so baseline is remote working is not for everyone at least not on a 100 percent basis uh, but still in trending on uh, the type of, type of product and SaaS product that will help you organize your workforce, manage uh, a remote workforce, uh, or even uh, even communicate within an organization. Mm. All things that were actually uh, uh, very important before COVID, but the whole situation made it uh, made everyone more aware of that. Uh, one of the things which is obviously trending is going to uh, I, I, sorry has been uh, everything related to virtual events. Mm-hmm. You can think of Hopin. I think we've scar- uh, scarcely seen a company grow that fast. They're, it's crazy. I, I think uh, they've been recruiting like over a few hundred people over uh, like a couple of months. Well, it's been, it's been crazy. Hmm. I guess with the remote work, do you anticipate that this is just a, a short-term trend for maybe 2021 and then it kind of dips back uh, after that? So I reckon people will see some values uh, attending, um, attending, uh, virtual events mm-hmm. uh, and working remotely. My guess is you may have a drawback because once things go back to normal, people will be so happy to actually meet in person again mm-hmm. that you may have a, 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 have a drawback. But the thing is, uh, based on the latest analysis that I've seen, um, experts don't actually expect the situation to go back to fully, uh, full normal be- uh, before 2024. 2024. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and on top of that, I, I feel like uh, the benefit of having remote uh, webinars or, or remote conferences is it makes it so easier to uh, to slide it in, into your uh, busy agenda. Mm. And from an economical perspective, I'm pretty sure people know that may make a fair bit of money, right? Because then you don't have to host it in a huge uh, location and pay the rent for it. Uh, you can have unlimited attendees. So a lot of uh, things that make economical sense and which I think uh, would be one of the reasons why it's going to stick. Yeah, makes sense. Well, things like Clubhouse are trending right now as well. So yeah, yeah people love it. I'm loving it. By the way, if anyone has an invite, I'm, I would be keen oh, to, uh, to do still waiting for his invite. So if anybody's listening has one, send it our way. He's excited to jump on. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to. Um, so, uh, you know, interesting, speaking about 2021, you know, it's weird. And in, in, in the last quarter of 2020, we saw kind of like a drop of people wanting to get into conversations. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, January hits and we start getting flooded with people, uh, you know, in the M&A landscape, people are starting to 
you know, wanting to sell their business. They're looking to raise money. They're, they're looking to talk. They're, they're super active. Um, what's your take on why that is and how do you anticipate like the remainder of the year will look like? Yeah. So that may be only a personal assumption, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like people st- started to postpone their sale due to COVID. I mean, you had two categories. You have the people benefiting from COVID and seeing, seeing 300% uh, growth uh, things, things to that and seeing the momentum and, and trying to push for, and for a sale. But you also have a lot of people that felt like they would not get such a good deal uh, due to COVID and potentially postpone. But then I guess you have the psychological, um, psychological point of moving to a new year mm-hmm. and realizing that COVID is here to stay and that people need to, uh, to get back to, into business. They can't postpone forever, right? Right. So, so, so I, I feel like after, you know, uh, the Christmas period, people can kind of went into reset mode. Uh, looking back at 2020 and, and, and revise their objective for 2021 and feel like, all right, we need to move forward now. Um, if you want to sell that company and, and go, move on to another project, we, well, we need to do it now. Yeah, it makes sense. I feel like people felt like, you know, January 1st, 2021, now like things were going to go back to normal all of a sudden. And then yeah. they realize, okay, okay, I just have to face this reality and it's time to make some decisions and, and yeah. not wait for that that, that, yeah. that moment that things will open up and be normal, right? True. And there is also another uh, huge criteria, I think, uh, is the, the U.S. election. That's another point, yeah. So, yeah, so, so much I, uncertainty. I w- yeah, I would understand why no one wanted to have like proper conversation in December mm. with all the uncertainty going on. So now, now that uh, Biden has been elected, I, I guess that has really helped uh, also um, release the pressure for, for a lot of people. Yeah, makes sense. And then from that psychological perspective and how people are thinking right now and ready to take action of selling their company, whether it's because it's trending upwards or you know it's on the downtrend and they just want to move on, how do you think that'll impact valuations going into 2021? Do you see any difference in changes? So if you had asked me six months ago or a year ago, I, I would uh, have answered that uh, I would have expected valuation to decrease mm. um, simply because valuation is supposed to uh, to include uh, and be dependent on on risk, right? Yeah. So right now we're in a higher risk situation due to, due to COVID. So mathematically, in theory, valuation should uh, should have decreased. The reality is, uh, I've read several uh, stuff on, on the subject. Um, from, from, uh, other brokers, uh, and lo- looking at actual transaction happening, it appears that valuation has, uh, haven't moved. Interesting. It's still the same. <laughs> uh, part of the reason I would say is, uh, I had a few conversations now where, where with buyers who, in a sense, didn't want to take advantage of COVID to offer like a lower valuation mm-hmm. and didn't want to be seen as taking advantage of it. Uh, generally, though, what they would do is they would uh, include like more earnout mm. into, into into the offer, right? Right. And because they also know that generally, when they are trying to buy a company, they are also trying to have a good relationship with the seller because a lot of, a lot of times the seller stays within the company and still work with them and they need and need him or her uh, for the transition. Mm-hmm. So that made sense to not try to be seen as uh, super greedy and instead finding a good uh, good deal to to make everyone happy. It makes sense. Um, and you know, coming back to the actual theme of this 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 conversation, which is around the valuations of SaaS companies, um, what are multiples of some of the offers and deals that we're seeing kind of go out there in, in the market? 
Uh, and what can SaaS founders expect if they're looking to sell their companies this year? So first thing, it's going to stay the flat. It's going to stay the same this year, 2021. And they're looking to sell. What, what, what can they expect? Yeah. So, so that, that's a huge question. <laughs> and believe me, there's a huge discrepancy in the type of, uh, of offers uh, we see. Sure. Uh, and that's a good thing. We're working uh, also in m You can see proper offers from different buyers. Exactly. And on the same products, you can have an offer at one time ARR and eight time ARR. Right. So, so the type of discrepancy is crazy and will generally depend on the type of buyers and how they look at your product, whether they have a synergy or not. So if I was going to give like a, like a, a wide range, I would say for uh, SaaS companies below one, uh, one million dollar in ARR, uh, growing at less than 20% year on year. You would expect something around one to three times, uh, ARR. Mm-hmm. If you start moving, up um, um, in, in, in terms of size, uh, going more into the $1 million EBITDA range, still uh, growing at 10, 20%, well, you, you could start looking at three to five times uh, revenue, especially mm-hmm. if the product is good, if the churn rate uh, is fairly low. Um, however, because you were mentioning the 10 times AR valuation, <laughs> so this is a trend that I, I still struggle to, to, to understand. And I think big part of it is uh, all the press around uh, the huge SaaS and super successful publicly listed companies uh, selling for, for these crazy multiples. Mm. Uh, however, however, people may have, uh, uh, may struggle to, sorry, to, to, uh, to differentiate those huge crazy valuation companies with more regular ones. And I was looking at a list of 200 listed um, uh, SaaS companies well, uh, from an article uh, basically where the title was, oh, the median uh, ARR multiple is still over 12 or 13%. I'm like, all right, cool. And I was looking at the data row by row. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on all the companies that have less than $1 billion in ARR, all those ones were trading around three to six times, maybe mm-hmm. seven times. But all the huge ones, the Salesforce, uh, uh, the HubSpot one that uh, that trade at 15, 20, 25 um, times AR, they are the one really driving the, the average. Mm-hmm. So bottom line is, if you have a company that is growing at 200% year on year and you have almost no churn, yeah, sure, you can attract the, uh, the, the super good valuation. If you're growing at less than 50%, I would say... Uh, Try to be more realistic and see what the market is, ta- is telling you um, before one, one, wanting to, uh, to have this crazy valuation. Yeah, make, makes perfect sense. Um, from your perspective, what are generally the biggest red flags that we see in SaaS companies that would you know, make you avoid structuring a deal? Or do you think you tell founders that they should work on to improve their multiple? So if I'm looking to exit my business, I'm trying to plan it. And they come to you and you're like, look, this is a, this is these are some problems you need to work on if you want to get some a proper valuation and a good yeah. deal. So first one would be a high churn, mm. and mostly because the whole point of uh, and the whole value of SaaS businesses is the recurring part. Right. By definition, if you have a high churn rate, that means that your customer are not staying, so you'll get, you you don't uh, you can't claim to have that recurring revenue mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so high churn would definitely be uh, my number one red flag. Uh, other red flag, which are common and not uh, only for, for SaaS businesses would be a, con- a high concentration of your revenue within a few customers, right? If you're doing 60 or 70% uh, of your revenue with 
maybe three customers, then as a buyer, you have a lot of risk around that, right? Because if one of those customers, uh, leaves, you're, you're taking a direct hit. And on top of that, you can, you can generally never know the real relationship that these buyers have or we, uh, with the seller. So they may have a close relationship and they may be there only because of that uh, special relationship, right? right? Um, in terms of other red flags, I would say um, potentially a decrease in market as well. Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh, a decline in market. Yeah. Uh, as we were saying, markets, uh, is generally one of the main things that, that investors look at. And obviously, if you're on a market which is shrinking mm. or, or stable, then you have higher chances of your investment not, um, uh, not being a good one. What about the size? Is that generally a, a filter that you see, like revenue itself? Because I know some, a lot of strategics or even other buyers, right? They have a minimum threshold. They're not, they don't even look mm. at a lot of these deals just because they're too small. What's a good, I mean, obviously you want to keep growing the company as large as possible, but at what point should, you know, founder, you know, if they're looking to sell, like, look, I'm at this stage right now, I might be able to get a good multiple. I'm, I'm thinking to get out. What's a number that I should start thinking about that? Uh, so first numbers I would come to mind, uh, as a founder, uh, uh, from a founder's perspective, I would say maybe $1 million in ARR. Mm. I mean, because, you know, psychologically uh, speaking, that's 1 million. Um, I think when, where you really, move towards the next category of interesting private equity firms um, and, and uh, buyers uh, uh, that are more competitive in, in, in a sense would be that $5 million AR mark. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, it also depends on what type of buyers you want, you, you want to sell to. Sure. To sell to. Yeah, it makes sense. I think once you hit that $1 million or so, it also kind of proves you have product market fit, which I think lowers a lot of the risk and That's people are interested as well, right? Exactly. And we'll also have something to do with um, uh, with your profitability as well. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of profitability, I mean, that's one part of it. What are some other you know, biggest drivers or metrics that you say are, are getting the highest multiples or offers on acquisitions? And uh, would get you excited or any other financial excited, uh, investor inv- excited about? So, so, so the first thing that has been super consistent in all the research uh, about SaaS valuation is the growth rate. The multiple is going to be uh, directly correlated to how much you grow. Right. Small caveat though, because uh, uh, again, uh, I have a lot of conversation where people don't necessarily differentiate between two companies of totally different size. If you're growing at 20% year on year, but you're only doing 100K in ARR, this is not an impressive growth. If you're growing at 20% when you have 5 million ARR, then we're talking. Mm. You have to, to also think about it from uh, um, absolute value perspective. Exactly. Because 20% at 100K ARR, you're just bringing in 20K additional, additional revenue each year. So, so don't expect a crazy uh, valuation multiple based on that. Uh, if you start being at 400, 500k and growing at 20, 30 percent uh, year on year, mm-hmm. then uh, I would say you start being uh, being fairly attractive, right? Because you're demonstrating uh, that you're growing and, and that you're on the right path. It makes sense. And would you say there's any difference on uh, how that's generally viewed from a strategic acquirer's perspective, based on some of our, our M and A conversations we've had with Horizon and you know buyers that are interested? Uh, so, can you re- uh, would you say there's, do you see any difference in terms of what gets uh, buyers excited yeah, about a deal from a strategic side versus how we would? Yeah. So, so with the strategic side, with the strategic buyers, it's generally 
uh, harder to give a generic response mm. simply because uh, it's really depend on their strategy and the products they are offering. Like you could have a very niche product uh, where that doesn't interest any financial buyers. But if you find uh, the exact strategic buyers that could totally integrate that features and uh, immediately make money out of it, then, uh, then, then that's an interesting conversation. So the main difference, if you want to differentiate strategic and, and financial uh, buyers, I guess the main difference in their approach is financial buyers obviously are going to spend way more time reviewing your account, doing uh, deep dive analysis of the trends, uh, uh, understanding your churn rate, who has been churning, how they've been churning, is there any uh, uh, changes in, in patterns uh, in, in the recent months, etc. Et Whereas the strategic buyers, especially if they have a high interest from a strategic perspective, either due to the technology or your existing AR, they're going to spend more time understanding your customers who are there. Uh, how long have, uh, has it been staying because it gives them uh, an indication of how good your product is and see how they can integrate those customers to their own ecosystem. It makes sense. And then, you know, I think we had this conversation slightly just before this interview. We're talking about, you know, management having to stay on. If I'm a SaaS founder, that's a question I usually get is if I want to sell to a strategic buyer, I'm looking to engage an M&A company to help me consult and finding a buyer. Do I have to stay on? If I'm tired of this business, I want to move on. Do I have to stay um, should I think about staying or can I leave completely or what if I want to stay? What, what's, what would you, how would you answer that? My, my short answer would be from what I, uh, I see, I think you have higher chances to find a buyer if you're committed to stay. Because hmm. uh, first, it makes more sense for, for, for the buyers to decrease their risk. If you're staying and you still have skin in the game, that basically tells them you still believe in your product. Whereas if you're just trying to exit, you can have perfectly good reason, right? And there are a lot of those reasons I understand. You want to focus on something else. You want to focus on your family. You want to change industry. Or you want to cash out on, on what you've built. They are all very valid reasons. However, since we're, if you see that as a game, as a M&A game, you're in a game where uh, with distortion of information, right? Yeah. So you don't have perfect information. And from a buyer perspective, they're trying to derive all the possibility from the answer you give. And one of the possibilities um, uh, that can be derived from a founder not wanting to stay or not wanting to retain any equity in the business is, well, there is something wrong somewhere. Uh, that may be a red flag. I haven't found it, but he knows about it, right? Mm. So if you're looking at not staying, you should ma make sure that you give them a very valid reason and that you're transparent enough for them to, to, to get comfortable with the fact that you're not staying. Mm, makes makes complete sense. Um, last question, Pierre. If I'm yeah. a founder, I'm looking to prep my SaaS company for an exit. What are maybe two to three or more tips that you'd suggest them to get a their pitch right, and then also increase their chances of getting acquired or invested in? Right, you create that pitch. What are things you tell them that they need to focus on? Yeah. So so I guess to answer that, uh, maybe I, I will try to mention one of the main mistakes I, I see when I talk to founders looking to exit or pre prepare a pitch deck, I think one of the, num uh, the, the number one uh, thing I discuss with them is uh, expectation. You know, don't have uh, expectation out of the, of the roof, both in terms of valuation, but also in terms of forecast, right? Because mm. if you're pitching a forecast where you're going to multiply the company by, by three within the, the next six months, people will have a tendency not to take you seriously. Yeah. 
The second thing I, I generally see is people trying to get too technical about mm -hmm. their product. Uh, you have to, you just have to keep in mind that if you're looking to approach investors, um, that may be slightly different with strategic buyers, especially if you're in a very technical uh, industry where they know all the technical side of it. But le let's take like a regular uh, financial buyers who may be aware of your industry, but not necessarily a tech guy. If you just throw him uh, a lot of information, you know, this guy is reviewing maybe 10 pitch deck a week, right? Yeah. So he's not going to spend the time understanding your product. What you want to do is kind of sequence the type of information you give them and making sure you tick the boxes that they are looking for. So those boxes are going to be, all right, what do I do in one or two sentences? They need to understand uh, the market you operate in in a short sentence. You right. don't need to go on and on and have like five paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Because also you need to keep in mind that they need to understand it for themselves, but they need to communicate with the rest of the team. Hmm. And very often, your the pitch deck is going to be reviewed by an analyst that needs to pitch it to his investment director, that needs to pitch it to his board of director, right? Yeah. So the easiest uh, you make it for them to understand what you're doing, and the, uh, the, the easier is going to be for them to pitch it to other people. So rem remember that. Right. So well, uh, one sentence to really clearly explain what you do. Main main numbers. What are the numbers that they're going to look at? Revenue. How much you've been growing? If you're a SaaS company, what's your churn rate? What's your LTV? Right. Explain a bit more about what market you target. So the buyer persona, how you get uh, you get there, and basically what are the opportunities. Mm. And if you already get those information right, uh, you can pick their interest. And if you manage to pick their interest, then you can enter a conversation. And in the idea of sequencing the, the, uh, when you release information, once you engage in the conversation, they're going to ask for more, right? Right. And so you're going to provide them the information uh, at this stage. So the, that's one thing. And the other thing uh, is also uh, potentially to structure your uh, your uh, your approach, right? Uh, in if you. Uh, I feel like if you have a systemic approach and a good process on how to select the right buyers and how to, to do the outreach, you will also greatly improve uh, your chances to, uh, uh, to to get a deal. And, yeah. and one thing I would say that people underestimate a, a lot is how much time it will take to, uh, to run a, for, a formal process um, and get sold. Because you're going to have a lot of companies looking Unfortunately, if you manage to raise interest, you're going to have a lot of potential buyers looking at your company. But that doesn't mean they're going to uh, to buy it. Right. They're still going to ask questions, still going to take a lot of time. And that's generally one of the main reasons why people decide to, uh, to hire uh, M&A advisors to run that process for them. Because it just saves save them a lot of time and helps them structure the process. What's the typical timeline you think that people should expect? I mean... In general, right? looking to sell their company, how fast is that that whole process? So again, depending on the size of the com company, uh, say if you have a company uh, below 500k, I would say you could find a, a buyer who, uh, like a, an individual, uh, willing to uh, to buy your company, and it could take uh, two or three months. Mm -hmm. um, that could be very very quick, right? If you you have a company slightly uh, bigger than that, generally, so. If you're lucky and that your first outreach and your, your process goes smooth, uh, smoothly, I would say you could uh, sell it uh, in 
four months, mm-hmm. right? Four or four to five months, mm-hmm. including, uh, including, um, the, 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 the start where you're basically putting together the IAM, the pitch deck and, and you're preparing for, for it. Yeah. Um, more regularly though, because, you know, you can have a lot of back and forth because the buyers uh, you reach out to first may not be the right one and you may need to have a second um, outreach uh, sequence. Um, I think on, on average, what we see on the market is it's not unusual for, uh, for, for a deal to take seven to eight months and sometimes it's more, more than that to close. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Um, final question, Pierre, I guess just to wrap it up. Into Going into 2021, what are... What do you expect the M&A activity to look like? Because I feel like last year there was a lot of people holding on to their cash. Do you feel that's still happening right now? Or do you feel their uh, buyers are ready to, to buy some deals right now? So given uh, how hot the market is, I think at least uh, first half of 2021, we should, uh, we should see a fair uh, bit of deals because there's a lot of capital uh, available. Uh, investors are also getting crazy about uh, all the hype happening at the moment, mm-hmm. even though a lot of that hype uh, is attracted by the financial market um, and trying to go to the moon. <laughs> um, so I would, I would expect first half of 2021 to, to have a lot of deals happening. Uh, I may be more skeptical about the second half because I still think that, uh, at some, uh, at some point we will uh, suffer from, from, uh, the economical downturn caused by COVID. Mm. And right, right now I, I feel like all the money which is basically landed keep a lot of business afloat, but for, for how long, right? And so if at some, if at some point, um, we enter into, into a downturn, that is going to make uh, things a bit harder. Right. So mm-hmm. we're just buying time, basically. It's just an inevitable at what point that happens that hopefully that, that cash will save us. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pierre, uh, thank you so much for joining. I always love talking to you and, and catching up. Yeah. Um, if anyone's interested to sell their company, they're looking to even just get a valuation or talk about uh, their exit strategy or planning in an early stage, how can they get in touch with you? How can they learn more about but what you're doing. So, so easiest way to um, to reach out is either you can go on my LinkedIn, Pierre Alexandre Hurtebiz. Uh, they can also uh, go on the Horizon website. Uh, we uh, we do have a form they can uh, fill up, uh, right, and they can have a look at the different things that we do there. They can also send me an email directly at pierre.horizoncapital.com, P-I-E-R-R-E, mm-hmm. uh, and any other way that they find mm-hmm. to reach out, right? Send me a, t- a Twitter DM, I will answer. Okay, awesome. We'll put those uh, in the show notes. Pierre at horizoncapital.com. All right, thanks again for joining SAS District and uh, appreciate you jumping on. (laughs) All good. Cool. (laughs) Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SAS industry. If you're a SAS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.